This is Father Gregory Pine. This is Father Joseph Anthony Cress. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you consume your podcasts. All right. Father Joseph Anthony. Oh, let's go. I'm, I'm strangely pumped for this episode. Me too, actually. And this pleases me. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're gearing up for Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. which, as everyone knows, it's a huge celebration in religious life. Yeah, it's right? like the best uh, holiday for celibate men <laughs> that live in a singular location. Exactly. Yeah, so we mark the day by precisely nothing. Uh-huh. Um, but it was a day <laughs> that was significant in our discernment both because, of us, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a. It's often that we have vocation retreats throughout the course of the year at the Dominican House of Studies. Uh, so there's typically two in the fall, two in the spring. If you're interested in making such a retreat, you just let the vocation director know. Uh, but we were scheduled for the same one. Yeah, which this was, was our senior year in college. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, it was senior year in college. Mm-hmm. Um, February 14th was the weekend. I think it started 13th and went to the 15th. So mm-hmm. that Saturday was the 14th. Uh, we had both been in contact with the vocation director. There was a crew of about five or six from Franciscan University right? that yeah, were yeah, road yeah. tripping out. Father Timothy Danaher was there. That's right. Dane Connolly was there. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Somebody else was there, but I've forgotten. Steve Sheetinger, somebody else. Uh, my apologies to you, whom I have forgotten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there was somebody who was supposed to be there. <laughs> wasn't who was that i uh, it was me oh hey yeah (laughs) so uh i talked to the vocation director and he was like hey they got this crew from francis university you can jump in with them uh considering they're you know your peers and your friends so why don't you just hop in the car and and jump out i was like yeah that'd be great we planned it out and everything and then the week of i made a phone call Mm -hmm. phone call to the vocation director and said hey bud um yeah, I'm just not going to do this. Like, I, I need a little more time or like, you know, this weekend just really doesn't work for me. So uh, I'm not going to head out. That bed, that spot that was available yep. is now available for somebody else. Mm-hmm. I said, no worries. Just let me know. You know, he was wrapped up in all the plans for vocation weekend. He said, we'll touch base after. I said, absolutely. Have a great one. Praying for everybody. Hung up the phone. Made another phone call. <laughs> Immediately after that. To a friend of mine, a female, and I said, what are you doing this weekend? (laughs) You want to go for a date? (laughs) Immediately asked a girl out on a date and went on a date that weekend. So I, uh, yeah, I I skipped a vocation weekend to go on a date. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't work out. No. Well, it did. Well. In the more global sense. Right. So people of God rejoice that that date was not the first of many (laughs) and that that vocation (laughs) retreat cancellation did not undo what would in turn become your priesthood. Yeah. So the people of God rejoice. Um, but Valentine's Day has an importance for my vocation. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a, it's a unique thing to celebrate about this holiday then. Yeah. It was also cool because we showed up on the 13th, those of us who did arrive, yes. uh, we showed up on the 13th, which is the feast of blessed Jordan of Saxony. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Who was the second master of the order. So he was master of the order from 1221 to 1237. And so right after Holy Father Dominic, Mm -hmm. and he is the Dominican patron of vocations because when he would preach, it was lights out and men (laughs) would line up out the door and ask to receive the habit of St. Dominic. Uh, So there's a story told where he went and preached. I've forgotten where, I think it was in France, uh, but that there wasn't enough white 
wool in the entire town to accommodate all the men who wanted to take the habit. Uh, I think it was 21 who entered on that day. That's a unique number. Exactly. To enter the order exactly. at a singular time. Who would think it? Weird. Um, but that like the friars who were there in attendance offered their own habits for the spontaneous clothing ceremony or vesti- vestition ceremony that followed. So it was said that mothers would sometimes hide their sons when Blessed Jordan of Saxony yeah, came to yeah, town yeah. because so bold was his preaching that the hearts of men were stirred mm-hmm. into great and ardent flame. Um, so we thought that uh, for this Valentine's Day, we wouldn't talk about the Dominican vocation, though, again, if you are interested Very in happy. the Dominican order. His name is Father Mario Calabres. He is the vocation director. We can put you in contact. Um, but we thought that we would talk about um, <laughs> about dating yes. right, and marriage. Big fans. And so. specifically, whether or not you have a soulmate. Not you in particular, but you in the plural, general sense of people out there sometimes described as yins or y'all. So when thinking about the soulmate question, do you have a particular place where you start? Somebody comes Mm -hmm. to like, Father Joseph Anthony, I haven't found my soulmate yet. I'm starting to get depressed. And you say... Yeah, it's because you don't have one. (laughs) (laughs) It's fictitious. Boom. Where do we start? Yeah. Two letters, one syllable. Uh Uh-huh. No. Oh, wow. There it is. There it is. No. Um, This this concept of... And it's been presented to us, pitched to us, forced down our throats from every Hallmark movie out there that there there are soulmates and there's this like created wandering other person that it, you have to chance encounter, you know, as you leave your uh, Wall Street banking job in the city to go mm. back to your farm oh, in wow. the country. And, the Christmas wish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, King yeah. Christmas. Uh-huh. The Christmas Prince. <laughs> the Christmas Prince. <laughs> Just weird. I mean, but you have to then have this chance encounter where immediately you know. Mm. And then, uh, but if you miss that encounter, then you're going to forever miss the possibility of happiness and completion, right? Because this other person, this soulmate, is your completion. Right. And so you're wandering around aimlessly and kind of testing the waters in every relationship and every encounter that you have because you're in constant search on the edge of your seat for your soulmate. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just not a reality. That is not how uh, w- the world works. That's not how our world works. That's not how God works, right? And so we have to kind of step back from this reality of I'm putting the entirety of my happiness onto this other person's shoulders right mm-hmm. now. So my happiness isn't in my fulfillment in union with God. My happiness is on this other individual. Mm-hmm. And I will refrain from engaging in any concept of happiness, pursuit, holiness until I meet my soulmate and then my life can begin. Right. That's, that's this like kind of weird, um, implicit statement there is that like you're in constant, um, like a holding pattern until you cross paths. And then at that moment, the world changes and birds start singing and then, then I can be happy and begin. But the rest of my life up to that point is just a waiting for this chance encounter. Yeah, I have many thoughts. I'm thinking of Sebastian the Crab, his uh, <laughs> very quotable line, there you see her, um, but we'll leave that for another day. Um, God's planning the singing episode. The so musical, God's, God's, playing, God's playing, playing the musical. musical. Yep. Let's coming, go. Coming to a B-rate theater near you. Um, um, I call all the Moana songs. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Thank You, because that can only be sung by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, 
So, okay, so in what you described, I'm seeing a variety of points that would be helpful to clarify. On the one hand, when some people hear it said you don't have a soulmate, they think that we're just sending you down a sad path yes. of nihilism, right. lack of fulfillment, uh -huh. absence of meaning. That's not what we're suggesting, okay? So what we're trying to suggest is that there is purpose to be had, meaning yes. to be found, delight to be experienced, and happiness ultimately to be embraced. But we need to clarify the Hollywood notions, or we need to kind of set at arm's length the Hollywood notion so that we can create a space for the genuinely Christian notion, which are to say like the genuinely Christian realities. Okay. Right. And so what we're concerned with is like, who's responsible? I think that's a great, great way to put the question. Who's responsible to what extent, you know, because you'll, you'll watch the Christmas wish or Christmas Prince 10, Christmas Prince 10. And it seems like the cosmos is conspiring, you know, yeah. it's like you have a scene with her and a scene with him and, uh, if it weren't for the fact that, you know, she she dropped her keys in the parking garage, and if it weren't for the fact that somebody spilled cheese whiz on his shirt when he got his cheesesteak, blah, 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 then they wouldn't have met. So it's like the cosmos is making this happen. But it's like, what does that even mean, mm -hmm. right? I don't know that it means anything. So people don't, well, slow down, Father Gregory. You're stumbling over your words because you're so pumped about soulmates. <laughs> All right? We, we, we want to say that, that, that someone is responsible. Right, right. But we want to discern who mm -hmm. and how, okay? So on the one hand, God. On the other hand, we. Yes. But in different ways. Mm -hmm. So it's not some like vague cosmic chance, right? Nor is it some utter lack or absence of meaning that we just have to salvage some romantic yeah. encounter from the midst of, okay? So let's think first about how God mm -hmm. is in some way, shape, or form responsible for in scare quotes, right? Our happiness, our embrace of a state of life, but ultimately our growth and holiness over the course of the entirety of a life. So you emphasize this point like you're not in a holding pattern. Your life has already begun. It doesn't begin on, you know, like at the point at which you encounter this person. So maybe let's start there. Think about yeah. how God is at work. So we have to look at how God interacts with us in his providential guidance and, and grace, that he doesn't just set things in motion and then sit back on the sidelines and watch it. He's not just entrusting all of this to the cosmos and, and like you said, those chance encounters and say, just kind of watching with bated breath. And it's like, are they going to, are they going to do it? Are they going to like, are they going to cross each other's paths? Like I canceled all those Southwest flights for one reason. <laughs> and that was just for like Sandy and like Jim mm. to, to cross paths in, uh, you know, the airport terminal. Mm hmm. Like if it's Southwest, maybe it was at MCO, that terrible airport where there are often stopovers, not layovers. No, not right? layovers. It's just your, your plane just takes a little breather and you stay on board. <laughs> you can't get good food because you're in the outer ring of MCO, which yes. is a barren wasteland. Mm -hmm. And you've already been through security, but keep going. Sorry. Yeah, just hypothetical. Uh, so he's not sitting on that sidelines. He's not just putting things in motion and then watching how they play out and hoping for the best here. Right? God is deeply uh, intimate and active in our lives. And so when he moves by providence and he moves by his grace, he is accompanying us and is present at all of these moments. And he's He's uh, allowing us to be filled with his life and you know, the, the um, indwelling of the Trinity within us that he's present in every single moment along the way, right? But we also have to talk about then, like, well, what's our engagement in that, right? How do we interact with these things? Like, with our free will and our ability to follow the will of God, what does God will directly? Well, God, from all eternity, wills and desires our salvation. 
right? Our, our salvation, our unity with him. But there are other elements to that that are, are contingent realities, right? And, and we've talked and before this episode airs, like one of the best lines in Aquinas' writings is that God wills contingent things contingently. You know, he knows things from his wisdom and from his perspective in eternity that we're unable to know because of our finitude. Mm-hmm. And, and But we have to be able to, in our intellect and our will, be present in these moments to pursue uh, union with him. And that allows us to be available to what is happening in this present moment, mm-hmm. right? To be uh, in not in this holding pattern for a hypothetical future and not to be so overly concerned with the past that we are rendered paralyzed. But it's within that unity uh, and pursuit of him in these present moments that uh, kind of opens up new horizons then to pursue into um, maybe engage in the possibility of different relationships and encounters that we would not have expected in previous. Okay, let's drill down on both points, namely God's providence and then our prudence. So with respect to God's providence, we want to say that, yes, God is invested in our vocations, yeah. and ultimately in our happiness. The reason that we know that is because God created us. Mm-hmm. Okay, so God has no need for us. We don't supply for any <laughs> lack on the part of God, and yet he chooses that we be. Mm-hmm. And not only does he choose that, he chooses to conserve us in being. He chooses to impart agency to us and to conserve us in agency. So like you said, God is present to us. He's more intimate or interior to us than right. we are to ourselves. Right. So God is at right. work, God is active, but also the point of it is his glory and our salvation. Not that he stands to gain anything, but in that his glory is made manifest and communicable insofar as we do embark upon a course whereby we seek to know him and to love him. So God does work towards this, and he also knows how it's going to play out, Yeah, yeah. right? Because God's knowledge is causal. God is eternal. There are a lot of different connections we could draw there, but we'll just leave it at that. God knows how it's going to turn out, but that doesn't fade it, or that doesn't force our hand, or it doesn't make it to be such that we don't have some contribution. So I think that like insisting upon God's providence, namely that in creation and in recreation, God expresses his delight in us and his desire for our flourishing, Mm -hmm. uh, but that he also places our life in our hands so that we can make something beautiful of it, all right? So when you when you lean on the providence piece, sometimes people get strangely fatalistic, yeah. right, or yeah, deterministic yeah. about mm-hmm. it. We want to push back against the fatalism and the determinism and say, okay, his providence is an expression of his abundant love, his generosity, and it's a gift. Like, our lives are a gift, which we can thereby, you know, like make manifest and communicable something wonderful about God, maybe even uniquely so. Yeah, okay? I think this is part of the the wisdom and the just like absurdity of God is that like his glory, his wisdom is by inviting us to participate with him. Right. It's not that fatalistic side of where it's just like set in motion. It's going to happen and whatever. It's like, no, no, no. He, he deeply invites us repeatedly in every moment to participate in the providence in in his actions, in his guidance in that way. So I think that's where we can also then start to see our agency combining in not destroyed by that, but actually elevated in a really beautiful way that our agency, our free will, when it's pursuing the will of God in each moment is becoming elevated more and more and more and also ridiculously free, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that allows us to, to um, be glorified uh, with 
with the Lord in union with him. Yeah. Okay. So turning then to that piece, yeah. uh, to that kind of our prudence as our particular mm-hmm. or personal expression of God's providence. So God makes it such that all things were down to his glory, that all things work to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But he weds himself to the limited, specific, determined creatures whom he has created. Not in the sense that God is like surprised by what we do or thrown for a loop when we choose otherwise, but that his providence unfolds by, like you said, our free choices, our contingent choices. So God places our lives in our hands. Yep. I often use the image describing prudence that like it's as if God deals the hand. Mm-hmm. The hand is for his glory and our salvation, and it's for us to play the hand. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you play a hand in any card game, you recognize the fact of its specificity and its limitation. Yeah. Okay, it's like, these could have been better. Well, they could have been different. Maybe just say it simply like that. Yeah. And yet, these are the ones that I have. And yet, I can play this hand beautifully and well. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So when we think about you know, a man or a woman who are trying to discern their vocation, feel drawn to uh, the life of marriage and family, and they're trying to figure out where to go from here or how best to take steps to enter upon that vocation, give glory yeah. to God and save their souls. Um, they might be confronted by the fact that I live in this time and in this place and in these circumstances, and I, I might wish that they were otherwise. Right, right. So what do you say to that person? I think that's that's part of it is like, okay, we have a natural vocation, you know, in our uh, masculinity and femininity, we have a natural, natural vocation towards marriage and to begin to pursue that. And when you start to then look at you around is like, okay, and now I need to pursue that, mm-hmm. right? So now let's look at the circumstances of what's around me. There are certain situations that we, I think we can rightly say are more conducive to the fostering of that pursuit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I deal with college students a lot and for them, it's like the college experience is uh, hyper um, stressful mm-hmm. when it comes to re- dating and relationships, because there's this implicit reality that this is the best opportunity to find your spouse. You know, it's like, this is it. And you have four years to figure that out. And if you don't figure it out by this, it's going to be exponentially harder to do that because you're no longer going to have proximate peers and people that maybe share the same faith or that are around you. And then let's say somebody graduates college and then goes into the workplace and then it's another five years, 10 years, 15 years. They still have this deep conviction that they need to be married and they want to be married and that's their vocation. That's what the Lord's calling them to. And yet they can't accomplish what they desire, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's this, uh, I think, struggle to, to say like, well, let's do that evaluation of what are my circumstances and then how do I, you know, play the cards that I'm dealt, you know? Maybe I didn't find my spouse in college. Mm-hmm. Okay, well now I got a different hand, it's a different round. And so I need to look uh, in, in a different capacity. I need to kind of start to uh, pursue uh, you know, different types of encountering people, meeting different uh, people, asking different friends for support or introductions or things like that. It's it's just this kind of constant ability to be surveying the circumstances that you are in and adapting to that. And there's also the reality that sometimes it's just very, very frustrating mm-hmm. because you have a deep desire and conviction that maybe isn't accomplished or actualized in this moment. And that creates frustration. And so I I deal with a lot of people who are uh, wanting to find their spouse, right, but have not met them. Or maybe they they really like an individual and go on multiple dates and the other one also has their free will 
and have struggles with failure to launch or whatever it may be. And that impacts them. And so it's this kind of give and take. And there's an opportunity to you get really, really frustrated and thus lose hope. And I think that's the other thing that when we're talking about this whole soulmate issue and do you have one and, and how do you find uh, your soulmate or spouse or whatever we want to call it, um, if that is delayed or that's kind of there's a struggle in that, the primary attack is on hope mm-hmm. because what hope is about a future arduous good. And when that's becoming more and more like it seems to be solidified, crystallized that that future arduous good is no longer attainable, then the person totally loses hope. And so that's one of the things that we have to ward off against is to say, even in the circumstances, I, I, I hope because hope is a confidence in the pro that the providence of God is taking place in my life. It's not Christianity's version of optimism, right? It's a confidence in the providence of God. Mm-hmm. And maybe we don't see it because of our finitude, but like we said, God's knowledge is different than our knowledge. And so what is happening is for his glory and mind, even if I don't comprehend that totally, even if I may be frustrated with it, even if I may be just angry that what I know and I'm just absolutely convicted of isn't the reality that I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts apropos of what you just said, which was super encouraging. Um, First is that like, that's the most practical thing, mm-hmm. right? Is to appeal to God who loves our destiny more than we do and yes, is working yes. actively to bring about a good thing, but to recognize the fact that that good thing is our salvation in his glory. Mm-hmm. It may involve getting married and it may not, right. right? But ultimately one's vocation is the glory of God and the salvation of his or her soul in whatever particular expression given time, place, and circumstances. And a state of life is part of that equation, but it's not the whole of that equation. Right, right. right? So maybe like to kind of distance ourselves a little bit from a vocation idolatry to take, again, some yes. of the pressure off Yes. It. And then the other thing, too, would be simply to say, like, um, my life hasn't, or it's, it's not as if my life will only ever begin once I enter upon it, right? Because if it is the case that my vocation is heaven, uh, then I can begin yeah. yesterday, yeah. right, or now. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't have to wait until tomorrow or the day after that mm-hmm. because the vocation is a means. It's a wonderful means. It's a blessed means, okay? Yeah. But but I don't have to think as if what I am experiencing at present or what I am suffering at present has nothing to do with my salvation or nothing to do with my ultimate vocation. So that'd be like, I mean, just, just thinking uh, in very particular terms about the hope which you described, I think that both of those are helpful things that can be derived just from that, that theological vision. Um, the next thing then would be like, Okay, I'm thinking about mothers who place pressure on themselves mm-hmm. to conceive. They're, they're excited to conceive. Right. They want to have children. But because of that pressure, because of that anxiety, uh, sometimes it becomes more difficult. I don't know how this works physiologically or biologically, but it's often observed that when uh, a family adopts a child, there's, a, <laughs> there's like a very experiential relief, and then they often conceive shortly thereafter. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are some obstacles to conception which can't be overcome, but there are some which... It's, it's, it's like, for whatever reason they are. Right. And I think that um, in dating relationships or in pursuing the, the vocation of marriage, sometimes there's such a pressure which actually works counter towards mm-hmm. the type mm-hmm. of dating relationship and ultimately marital relationship in which a person will be happy because there is so much intensity. It's like, like you said, I missed it in college, so now it's just going to get more intense. Oftentimes it's experienced more acutely by women than by men right. for biological reasons, but also for like experiential reasons. Yeah, I think that men just tend to be entirely comfortable in their parents' basement until an advanced age. 
As long um, as there's enough supply of Hot Pockets and Code Red Mountain Dew, like there's no need to leave. Exactly. Or so they perceive. Um, <laughs> and so I think that, that pushing back against the soulmate theory also helps to create the space in which to relax just a little bit. It's not going to be possible to convince yourself that life isn't difficult and yeah. sad because it, it remains the case. But that's helpful at least to be like, okay, God's got a plan. I can hope in him. I don't have to place inordinate pressure on myself to have brought it about yesterday. Yeah. And then the other thing is, this is a final thought before sending it back to you. C.S. Lewis says in The Four Loves that in order to have friends, you have to want something more than friends, right? So another part of this thing is when we become very fixated on entering the vocation or mm -hmm. taking the proximate steps to getting married or to whatever, um, then that becomes, as it were, a kind of end in itself. But it was never intended to be such. No, yeah, yeah, yeah Because yeah. a sacrament is a sign of a sacred thing. It mediates a reality. It leads us into the life eternal. It wasn't meant to be the goal. It wasn't meant to be the end. And so when we get super fixated on it, it's like, you know, trying to make friends. And somebody comes up to you and you're like, I've never had a friend before. And, we're <laughs> like, and that's going to stay the case. Um, right. So, so if you approach dating relationships like that, I've, I've never had a husband yet. It's like, okay, you're going to be waiting a little bit longer. So you want to give expression to the things that you love, the things that animate you, the types of pursuits in which right. you can bring someone along, right? You can find a fellow traveler because yep. then you'll be like, oh, Common conversation, common interest. Now we're having a common life, and this might go somewhere. So those are just some thoughts, just falling off. On that said. last point, like what I also see, and this is going to be a kind of like a different hue of that same uh, color. There is the fact that you find people who that are really, really just motivated to have a girlfriend or have a spouse or you know something along those. They want to have a significant other, and they become so obsessed because it's like that's the expression of other things in their life that they you, you'll find this is that they kind of settle you know it's like well yeah the person really doesn't like i'm doesn't really make me happy but they're the best option of what i'm given right now so i'm just going to settle for that mm. you know and especially after college and, and into professional life and things like that it's like well it doesn't really make like i'm not really happy around them but i'm not horribly sad so I'll settle for that. And mm -hmm. I think we can make this work. And it's not that I'm not talking, getting back to the Hallmark thing. It's like, you don't need to have birds singing in the first moment. You're like, oh, I just, I knew as soon as I saw her, like she was going to be, like, it doesn't have to be that. Like, I know many of uh, people who were like, yeah, actually it was this surprise. Like I kind of wasn't really attracted to him at the beginning, but slowly like I got to know him and things like that. And I became very attracted to him and, and those types of things. But I just want to point out the fact that like, this overemphasis on the need for this kind of, um, I don't want to say status, but like the, the stature, the, the individual is lost in the need to have the, the placer. So like the need to have a spouse, you lose the individual mm -hmm. in that and you're forcing them. So the, this does become idolatry. This does become kind of manipulative in that sense. And you then are, you too are manipulated to find the best option of that and what my current circumstances are. And so then you start to lose yourself. This other person starts to lose. And then you end up in a situation where it really does, the relationship disintegrates. And so I think this understanding of maybe they're like, at the end of the day, we're going to say like very clearly, like, no, we're not looking for soulmates because soulmates don't exist. And the reason why is because my happiness is not in this other individual creature. Right. My happiness is in my creator. And so we are able to reset that context and that takes the pressure off. And then I'm actually free 
to pursue a life with another person shoulder shoulder to shoulder with each other mm-hmm. you know and now i'm not like pressured to settle just to have this kind of placeholder filled and then i have that total freedom to be myself to pursue my god because my happiness my completion that's the that's a fallacy in all of this is that my completion as an individual is in this other person my completion as an individual is in my union with god and that's that's where it always is and always will be mm-hmm. yeah and while it may be you know while it is mediated by my state in life by my spouse or by yes, the particular absolutely. vocation that god has afforded to me ultimately you know that has a that has a place within the whole story of Mm-hmm. Our Lord Jesus Christ and His sacred humanity, the Church which He established, the sacraments which He yep. lavished upon us with such abundance, and you know each has its place in this kind of great chain of mediation. But ultimately, it's for love of the Most High God, who shows us His face in the here and now, and the concrete in particular. All right, so we're kind of at the end of our time now, but just by way of a final thought, just one thing to share, and then send it back to you for a final thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, yeah, I guess I, I don't want to sound too iconoclastic, so I think that. In a certain sense, no, you don't have a soulmate. But in a certain sense, yes. Insofar as when you do enter in to the sacrament of marriage, that person is appointed for you as a sign of a sacred thing which makes you holy. And you, for him or her, and then ultimately both of you, for the sanctification of your children. But who that person is, God knows. But we don't in the same way. And part of the excitement, the drama of human life, is to come to discover who that will be. Um, Or... Maybe not, okay, because there are people who don't get married who would like to get married, and while that seems experientially very difficult and tragic, you know, and not to make light of that, still there are good things right. in store, right? So so I would say that there are probably a variety of people with whom you might be happily married, mm-hmm. um, and that's not... Uh, that's not to say that it, yeah, just pick whomever, right? <laughs> uh, but but it is to say that what you're focused on is growing in the life of grace and virtue, challenging another individual, encouraging another individual, and receiving the same in turn, yes, yes. and then looking forward to a common life, um, a family life, which redounds to uh, yeah to God's glory and ultimately to your salvation. So to take some of the pressure off without being too you know, like recory, that's not a word, um, without being too iconoclastic saying like, none of this matters, because it does matter, yes, but it matters absolutely. insofar as God gives it to matter, insofar as he entrusts us with our human lives in which they take this shape, you know, mm. as we live our lives and as we interpret our lives. So that's a final thought from me, final thought from you. Yeah, I think my final thought is the the fact that when we enter into this conversation, when we enter into this discussion, like you were saying, there, there there's this possibility that we could... Re- rightly enter into number or in, enter into a relationship with a number of different uh, people and that all of those are real and valid options and that if we are able to remind ourselves that our vocation is the means you know to a, a, a means to deepen our union with God and that's really really beautiful in that when we uh, you know I do a lot of marriage prep and I'm you know I'm able to stand at the altar for a couple as they make, that exchange of consent before God and become truly one, right? Where two become one and and nothing can uh, divide that. You see that this person does entrust themselves to the other. And everything leading up to that is a building of trust and vulnerability to get to that point to make that commitment where you see yourself as the other and the other is totally entrusted to you. And so when we get to that moment, like, yeah, that is a true completion, right? A true gift, total gift of self um, in, in, in such a way John Paul II talks about, you know, we find ourselves in the total gift of self. And that's most uh, clearly seen in the spousal relationship in Christian marriage. And so 
it's a beautiful thing and we want to encourage that. So I just don't want this episode to be a total downer of like, oh, there's no soulmates and just go about it's like, no, there's there's a such beautiful beauty and depth in the fact that um, the church and, and Jesus Christ giving us the seven sacraments specifically identifies the spousal relationship as a path of sanctification. Mm. And that is extremely important that to become husband and wife is truly sanctifying work. And that should be pursued with vigor. That should be pursued with intensity. And that should be, uh, you know, an exciting, um, yeah, exciting way of life. So I, just, I do want to end on a, on the positive note to say, like, we are, we want to encourage marriages. We want to encourage people seeking their spouse, but not in this kind of very passive soulmate thing that we see in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And the people of God said, amen, hallelujah, boom goes the dynamite. Um, so that's what we have for you folks. Thanks so much for, uh, having tuned into this episode of God's planning. And thanks so much for those of you who support the podcast. Uh, if you'd like to consider supporting, if you would like to consider supporting the podcast, could I distance myself from that claim any further? Sweet Christmas. Um, if you would like to support the podcast, please check us out at patreon.com slash God's planning. If you would follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review, all of which helps to get the word out so that other people might, please God, encounter our Lord Jesus Christ and his saving grace. Uh, And then in the episode description or show notes, depending on where you consume your podcast, you'll find links there. So links for merchandise, uh, which you can shop the the God's Planning store to find. And then links for events, which will be coming up here in short order. We'll have announcements for those at the beginning of March Uh, And you'll have uh, some retreats in June, August, and November, but I shouldn't say any more because it's supposed to be a grand reveal. Uh, Boom. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Planning.